Who's uh, heard me speak before? Anybody? All right, so most of you. Good. You're gluttons for punishment. Um, hopefully, um, you know, I try to tweak these presentations as much as possible, uh, given that they're required hours. Um, I try to tweak them with current event kind of stuff, so hopefully uh, that'll keep it fresh and interesting and keep you awake for the next five hours. It's been a long day, huh? No? <coughs> little. You, you started out with my brother this morning, I think, right? That must have been fun, huh? <laughs> I remember, I'm the, I'm the baby in that family. He's the oldest, I'm the youngest, and there's, you know, a bunch in between us. There's eight of us. I was just telling somebody, you know, he's got a lot of stories to tell, right? He's got some good stories. I grew up hearing those stories because, you know, so he's always been in law enforcement. I had another brother who was a cop who was a sergeant <coughs> in Margate, Florida. So Sunday night dinners, you can imagine, right? Brian would tell a story, then Kevin would tell a story. And Brian would tell a story, and Kevin would tell a story. <coughs> and for a long period of time there, I don't know if Brian mentioned it, but for a long period of time there, Brian was uh, a, an investigator for organized crime. So we got to hear all the mafia stories. Those are fun, right? You imagine, you know, being a, just a young kid, you know, barely a teenager and hearing about the mafia and all this stuff is unbelievable. Uh, so <clears throat> if there's any questions about what's wrong with me by the end of today, you, you know. <laughs> just ask my brother what's wrong with me. I got it all from him. And he got it from my father. <clears throat> There's some stories there. So, <clears throat> obviously, you know, I'm doing these required hours, so I got to really stick to the script as much as possible. And, you know, the longer that I teach, and I've been, I shouldn't say I've been teaching since the early 1990s, because I don't know that that's what I was doing in the 90s, because I didn't know how to do it. Um, but I've been up in front of chiropractors <clears throat> for a long period of time. And I know it's hard to sit there for, you know, this length, lengthy period of time and try to take all this information in. 
I'll try to distill it down for you as much as possible because the reality in terms of what I've learned, and this really has more to do with learning than anything else, the dynamics of it, the, the active nature of learning, is, <clears throat> you know, people, and you know this from your patients, and if you don't know it, learn this as quickly as possible. You know, people just need a few facts, and then they're going to make an emotional decision, right? Because everything that we do in our life, everybody on this planet, all decisions, all motivations are driven by emotions. It's the bottom line. People, people need a few facts, right? They need a few analytical items to look at or to support their emotional decision. And it's sort of the same thing with me presenting this information to you because I'm telling you right up front <coughs> that my expectation for you, the outcome assessment for the next five hours is that you go into your office on Monday and you do something different. Depending upon what you hear from me, you know, you may already be doing some of this stuff. Some of the stuff that I throw out at you, you may know, I'm not doing that, or I didn't think about that. There might be a dozen things that you say, oh, I don't do that, or I didn't think about that. I don't really know that you're going to implement a dozen things on Monday, but the outcome assessment, the measure of the effectiveness here is that you do something different on Monday, because if you don't, then you're either doing it perfect, and you know maybe you know some people out there that are practicing perfect. Uh, in my business, I don't run into that too often, right? Just something as simple as changing your website. You know, we'll get into some of those kind of things. <clears throat> One of the things, uh, if you've heard me talk with probably within the last year then you've heard me recommend this book, Thinking Fast and Slow by Kahneman. This, this book is, is a real monster. Don't let the two dimensions fool you. And this is a thick book. <clears throat> it's fairly dry. Get it on audio. It's much easier to digest. You can just listen in the, in the car on the way to the office, back and forth. <clears throat> and <clears throat> the crux of it is, You know, if you think about us as a species evolutionary, from an evolutionary perspective, in order to survive out there in caveman days, we had to make decisions quickly. We had to evaluate our circumstances, we had to get the lay of the land, and then we had to make a decision, and we had to do it quickly because it's life or death, okay? Saber-toothed tiger coming after you, the whole nine, the whole nine yards. <coughs> That doesn't serve us so well these days, okay? millions of years later. That part of our brain, though, that primal part of our brain, is still engaged, unfortunately, in many circumstances, and especially true for the chiropractor or the doctor. Never mind just chiropractors, all of medicine, right? This is why there are, er this is why there are errors in medicine. They're medical errors because people are engaged in what Kahneman talks about is two types of, uh, two portions of the brain or two ways that the brain works. He calls it fast and slow thinking. The fast thinking is that primal stuff that you got to do to survive, 
get enough information to pull together and then make a decision <coughs> versus the slow thinking, which is critical thinking, which is really slowing things down and evaluating the evidence in front of you and then making a decision based more on the evidence and less on the emotion. Okay? <coughs> I can tell you from my world that I live in, okay, and that's, this is the malpractice world, the regulatory board world, chiropractors in trouble world, this is the biggest problem, okay, that I see from my experience, is chiropractors not slowing down, not making decisions more on the evidence and less on the emotion. You know, chiropractic is all heart, right? So chiropractors want to make those decisions based on the heart and based on the emotion. That's not good from a risk management perspective. And, you know, let's understand something about this, right? This is risk management. That's what I'm doing for the next five hours, risk management. You cannot escape risk. Nobody on this planet can escape risk. Certainly not as a doctor, but just think about it as a human being sitting on this planet. We're sitting here in this room. We're held to the planet Earth, right? We're a third rock from the, from the sun. We're held to this planet by gravity. The Earth is rotating around its axis at the same time that it's revolving around the sun in a solar system that is also spinning around in a galaxy that's part of the universe, okay? And there's all kinds of shit flying around out there, okay? We're mapping these things, right? Because we got to be prepared to move them off target as they get close to us. We just had an asteroid recently come, the, I think it was the closest asteroid ever not too long ago, okay? And we tracked that thing. So <clears throat> we're not without risk. You can't avoid it. There's just no, you're dealing with earthlings coming into your practice. You cannot avoid the risk that comes with another human being walking into your office. But you can manage that risk. You can do things in your practice to reduce the, your exposure to risk. But that means you got to slow down, you got to take the foot off the accelerator, and you got to engage the slow thinking. You got to think critically about that patient that's sitting in front of you. Okay? And this is sometimes very hard for, it's hard for anybody to do. It's hard for doctors in general, it's hard for chiropractors in general, but it's especially hard. <coughs> for, I'll, I'll call it, our faction of the profession. You know, the loving, serving, subluxation-centered chiropractor that wants to see a bunch of people and take care of a bunch of people and change the world through chiropractic and through their adjustments. It's very hard for that chiropractor to take their foot off the gas. And a lot of times they don't want to hear what I have to say, right? I had a, a chiropractor about a year ago <coughs> She started out sitting in the front row at a CE thing, and it, it really wasn't a CE thing. It was more of a, it was more of a spizzerinctum session, you know. And, but I was doing two hours that were continuing ed, right? They could get hours for this. The rest of the weekend, they couldn't get hours for it. So she's sitting up front. <clears throat> You'd know who I'm talking about if I said her name. And right after, I, and the topic of my talk was stroke. Okay, 
So as soon as I put the slide up that we're going to talk about stroke for the next two hours, she gets up and walks out. And I hear later that she was bitching and moaning because she didn't need that negativity in her life. This is the attitude of some chiropractors, right? This isn't about being negative, okay? This is understanding what is putting you at risk. This is not, you know, you got to understand where I'm coming from this, from this perspective, too, because I may <coughs> be a little hard on patients, okay? And it's not because I don't love patients, okay, or love people. It's that my job is not, in, in a direct fashion, to protect the patient. My job is to protect the patient in an indirect fashion by protecting you, right? By telling you where the landmines are, by telling you where the risk is. So I recommend this book highly. It'll help you to think better and to critically evaluate things if this isn't something you've been into for a long period of time. So I told you I was going to give you a few facts during this presentation, and, and I'll try to point out those significant items that I really want you to digest. And this is the first one. This is the first concept that undergirds everything we're going to be talking about for the next several hours. Okay? And it's the concept of triage. You may have heard in the chiropractic profession that there's a lot going on relative to scope of practice changes in a number of states, number of countries where the scope is expanding. Chiropractors want to expand the scope because they're desperate and they think expanding the scope, well, that leads to more insurance reimbursement, more insurance reimbursement leads to more money, more codes to bill, all that sort of stuff, right? It's a fool's errand, but we're not going to get into that. But mixed in with all this is the concept of diagnosis. And I'll show you some examples where this is happening as we get into this. But what I want you to do for a second is, is look at this from a very straight chiropractic perspective. Okay, Straight chiropractic. That term doesn't mean anything anymore these days, but if you've been in this profession a while, you understand what I mean by straight when it actually meant something, okay? So I want you to look at this from a very straight perspective. And, and straight perspective would be one way to look at this is that your responsibility as a chiropractor is to find, analyze, and correct vertebral subluxations. You know, it's sort of what John was talking about before. I, I caught the end of his lecture. I'm glad I caught it. Because the focus is not on the condition Right? The disease process, the end result of the subluxation, the focus is on the subluxation, okay? in, a, in a straight sort of philosophy. Chiropractic, in, in that model, has a narrow focus, right? the spine and vertebral subluxation, but that has broad body implications okay? that we don't even need to worry about. Because we know if you've been in practice long enough and you take care of patients long enough, meaning that you don't discharge them after six visits and never see them again, but if you take care of patients from cradle to grave, you have seen people's lives change in your practice. You've seen people respond with all sorts of visceral disorders and all sorts of problems beyond just neck pain, back pain, headaches. You've seen these people respond. Okay? 
So narrow focus, broad body implications. The issue for the chiropractor trying to practice in that model is not to get caught up so much in the diagnosis issue, although unfortunately you have to because especially in Florida, you have an obligation to diagnose whether you want to or not. The concept really is triage that I want you to wrap your head around. Because you don't have to know, you do not have to know the name of the disease in order to appropriately triage your patient and make a decision about whether they belong in your office right now. You don't have to know the name of the disease. You just have to know as a straight chiropractor, and again, I'm using a term that some people may be uncomfortable with, but I'm just trying to get you to focus on just the analysis and correction of subluxation, looking at it from that perspective. You don't have to know the name of the disease. You just have to know that if the person has a, this constellation of signs and symptoms, well, I don't know what that's called, but I know that they need to see somebody else about this. Okay? Now, if you've gotten to the point where you had a good, you went to a school that, that taught you um, differential diagnosis and, and taught it well, okay? If you went to one of those schools, there's a couple of them. Most of them just teach you how to jump through the hoops, right? And tell you enough about pushing on heads and lifting legs to pass the boards, okay? You know, we're teaching you diagnosis, nod, nod, wink, wink, right? Just know it for the boards, that kind of nonsense, okay? <clears throat> but if you paid attention enough, you should know enough to be able to triage a patient. And this is key because this is the first step when this patient is in your office. Do they belong in my office right now? Do they belong someplace else right now? Do they belong in my office and someplace else? Do, they, do I need to get them out of my office completely and go dump them on somebody else's doorstep? And, and you know, that's sacrilege, right? Just me saying that because some people here, you wouldn't adjust them? Yeah, that's right, I wouldn't. There are some people, I'm not touching them. I'm not going near them. Not because I don't think chiropractic would help them, but because it's going to put me and my family at risk. Anybody ever uh, uh, study to be a lifeguard in here? Right? I mean, what do they tell you? Right? You're going after somebody that's drowning. If you don't know how to subdue that person to save them, they are going to kill you in order to save themselves. It's no different when talking about risk management. Okay? So, Understand where I'm coming from with this. So this is number one, okay? Triage. Does this patient belong here right now? <clears throat> I think I've made this clear already that, you know, the, the focus from my perspective that our profession should have is on subluxation. That should be our reason to be. That should be our marketing strategy, okay? It should be where we get our cultural authority from. It should be our strategic competitive advantage. In fact, it is our strategic competitive advantage. I mean, think about all the things that chiropractors can do. Think about all the things that you are doing in your practice right now. And I'm not putting you down for doing other things in your practice, okay? I, I, don't, I don't care what you do in your practice, as long as it's ethical and legal and moral and all that sort of stuff within your scope. I would rather that chiropractors focused on the subluxation and left 
all the other stuff to all the other providers that are trained to do those other things, okay? But this is our strategic competitive advantage. There is a profession out there that does nutrition. There's a profession out there that does physical therapy. There's a profession out there that does exercise physiology. There are people that go to school for extended periods of time to learn that stuff and get licensed to do those things. And then chiropractors come along with six years of education and three years in a hotel room, right, once a month, getting a diplomate in something, maybe neurology, right? Call yourself a functional neurologist or a chiropractic neurologist, right? Six years of school. And once a month for three years in a hotel room, call yourself a neurologist. How do you think a neurologist feels when they see that? I mean, wouldn't you be pissed if you're a medical neurologist? You went, first you went, did your undergrad, you got your bachelor's, right? Then you went to medical school. You graduated from medical school. You did your rotations, your, your residencies. You, maybe you did a fellowship in neurology. I mean, you're talking about 10, 12, 15, 18 years of schooling. A chiropractor comes along and says, I'm a neurologist. I went to school for six years. I mean, that pissed me off if I was them, right? <clears throat> Anybody that knows anything about marketing knows that if you're bringing a service or a product to market, you've got to focus on your strategic competitive advantage. Nutrition isn't ours. Exercise isn't ours. Teaching people how to sleep right. Telling people how they have to have a positive mental attitude. I mean, anybody can do this stuff. In fact, to teach people how to eat right, exercise, diet, have a positive mental attitude, do you need a degree to do any of those things? You don't need a, a degree. In fact, you don't even need a high school diploma. You don't need a high school diploma. You don't need a four-year undergrad degree. You don't need a four-year chiropractic degree and four parts of national boards to do any of those things. And then $250,000, you know, $300,000 worth of student loan debt besides, and then $100,000 to get your practice set up to teach people how to diet, exercise, and have a positive mental attitude. That's somebody with no education whatsoever, no high school diploma, no college, no license, no student loan debt can do all those things. Who in their right mind would go to school as a chiropractor to do all those things and take on that debt when you could do it without it? I mean, if you look at it objectively, you'd have to, well, it, you didn't think that through, right? Now, if you tell me, yeah, I went to school because I wanted to learn how to find, analyze, and correct vertebral subluxations because they are devastating to human beings, they lead to increased morbidity and mortality. And chiropractors are the only ones that are trained to find these things and fix them. So we have a strategic competitive advantage. If you tell me that, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You got yourself a good service there, something that's unique that you can bring into the marketplace. But chiropractors don't always think rationally, right? So 
relative to the whole subluxation thing, unless you've been living in a cave somewhere, you know that there is some contention within our own ranks. And, and if you've been around this long enough, you know that the problem no longer is medicine, right? Organized medicine attacking us. The problem is our own profession now, okay? I mean, I think medicine, I don't even think they care about us at this point. But to the extent they do, I think they just look at us and watch us self-destruct at this point. <clears throat> but there's this contention within our profession from leadership in the profession, from organizations, from major organizations within the profession, that this subluxation thing is questionable, that it may not even exist. This is how ridiculous they get. Okay? Here's one. This is from Florida. You guys have heard of him, I'm sure. It's an unproven myth. All right? The term subluxation should be considered by all, all authorities outside the chiropractic community as a myth and therefore an inappropriate standard and is contrary to evidence-based practice. Here's the scary thing. That organization is one of the largest trade organizations in chiropractic, if not the largest. Okay? They're crazy people, right? And if you look into his background, <laughs> I mean, just go to the Florida Board website and pull up his record, right? He's a crazy person. But they are running the show. You understand? They are in control of this profession. They are in control, not them, only them, but them and people like them and organizations like them, they are directing the, 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 the direction that this profession is moving in, towards expanding the scope, getting rid of subluxation, and turning chiropractic into primary care. Okay? And we're going to talk about primary care as well, because you need to understand why you have so much risk. Because look, the reality is if your risk was only, listen, chiropractors look for this vertebral subluxation thing. That's all they do. They don't get into diagnosing every disease in the Merck manual, and they don't get into treating every disease in the Merck manual. Think about how low your risk would be. Okay? Your risk is not low like that because that is not what the powers that be have decided chiropractic is. The powers that be have decided that chiropractic is the practice of primary care. And I want you to think very, be very thoughtful about the responsibilities that come with primary care. And make sure you understand there's a difference between primary care and portal of entry. They're not the same thing. Okay. <clears throat> Here's one right here in Florida, right? The, the largest, uh, the second largest association in Florida, the Florida Chiropractic Association, is pushing, even though if you look at the law, and we're going to look at the law, we have a very broad scope in Florida. I have a license to practice in Florida. We have a very broad scope, but they want to put primary care language into the law in Florida. That's what they're lobbying for. So, <clears throat> We can bash medicine a little bit to sort of get into the topic that I'm going to talk about under ethics. We know that medicine, or I should say 
going to a medical provider is risky, right? Death to, due to atrogenesis. The numbers are somewhere between 100,000 to 750,000 people a year that die because they went to see a healthcare provider, okay? Here's the 100,000 number. That's where this, that comes from. Comes from this book, and it's a book published by the Institute of Medicine. This is the one that sent shockwaves through the whole system when it came out. I think it's been over 10 years, okay? where they identified that 100,000 people die every year due to iatrogenesis. This is the Institute of Medicine. This is the United States federal government that said this. And they titled the book, To Air is Human. Yeah, you know, we kill 100,000 people a year, but you know, shit happens. <laughs> this is how accepted it is by them. That's the 100,000 number. This is where the 750,000 number comes from, from Gary Null. It doesn't come from his book. He actually published the, he had a paper published, him and a team of researchers had a paper published where they reviewed uh, iatrogenesis from, in terms of the literature from several different sources and pulled it. They sort of did a systematic review and they came up with 750,000 people a year. He then took it and turned it into a book and started selling it and made a film and all that sort of, sort of stuff. But this is what's in the literature, 100,000 to 750,000, okay? These are the types of medical errors, okay? There's a whole list of them from, uh, this is from the Institute of Medicine report, but they get it from this article by Lucian Leap. Lucian Leap is the guy, you may have heard this, this is going back maybe a couple of decades at this point, that, and, and this sent shockwaves because he published it in JAMA where he said that the number of people dying from iatrogenesis every year was equivalent to three jumbo jet crashes every week. Maybe it was two jumbo jet crashes. You know, and he made the, he made the point, point. this is in the Journal of the American Medical Association, he makes the point, it's like, if, if jets were falling out of the sky at that rate, there would be congressional hearings on this. 100,000 people die every year from iatrogenesis and Nobody's getting called before Congress. A few people died from a sticky accelerator in Toyotas a few years ago, and there's congressional hearings, right? The president of Toyota Motor Corporation is called before Congress and saying, what the hell are you doing? And we're talking about 10 people that died. And it wasn't because of a problem with the car, it was a problem with the people driving the car that thought when they were pushing down on the brake, they were actually pushing down the accelerator. You know, that was the conclusion of the investigation when all was said and done. And it's not the first time that happened. Mitsubishi had that same problem about 10 years prior. People thought they were pushing on the brake, and they weren't. And when the car didn't slow down, they pushed what they thought on the brake harder, which accelerated the car because they're pushing on the accelerator. <coughs> but they blamed the car. So if you look at these errors, there are diagnostic errors, treatment errors, preventative errors. We're going to focus on this error or delay in diagnosis, okay? So we're going to focus on the concept of failure to diagnose, all right? 
So the first concept that, you know, I said I'm gonna, we're going to talk about a few facts. Well, the first one was triage. I want you to get that into your head, the concept of triage. The next issue I want you to get into your head is failure to diagnose. This issue is, it's the biggest issue in chiropractic malpractice. It's not the biggest in terms of monetary issues, okay? The biggest in terms of monetary issues is a subcategory of this, and it's the stroke and dissection issue. We're going to do that last tonight before you go home. We'll talk about stroke because I know that you're just dying to talk about stroke again. <clears throat> we have to talk about it because it is one of the most significant things under the category of failure to diagnose. Okay? It's the biggest in terms of monetary issues and what is going to impact your life the most if you get dinged with a dissection or stroke lawsuit. So we need to talk about it. And even if you've heard a stroke lecture within the past couple of years, unless it was from me, you've heard probably nothing new. Okay? So you may be learning some new things about that issue today. So we're going to focus on failure to diagnose from a broad perspective. <clears throat> and the reason that it's a big issue in the malpractice world is because it undergirds pretty much every claim that comes across our desk, is this issue of failure to diagnose. I told you stroke is the biggest one. We'll get back to that. <clears throat> I need you to understand, right? We talked about this. We talked about earthlings coming into your practice. These people are coming into your practice next week. Some of you have children. Understand that accepting these earthlings into your practice puts your family at risk. Okay? This is from the People of Walmart collection. My favorite website. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never get rid of that, huh? <laughs> so if you look at failure to diagnose, I want you to start thinking about the range of risk that falls under that, okay? I mentioned stroke and dissection. We'll come back to that. So put that on the back burner and let that uh, come to a slow rumbling bro uh, boil while we talk about this other stuff. The next one on the list are, are disc issues, and we'll tie these together, disc and imaging issues, okay? And I'll go through these things relatively quickly because I, I think that they are logical and I think a lot of it is common sense. And I think a lot of it is just once I say it or stress it, it'll make sense to you. And, you know, there's not an argument about it. Okay. I want you to imagine the guy in his mid-40s who comes into your office complaining of neck and or back pain and maybe a little bit of trapezius pain, maybe a little bit of pain in the butt, something like that, right? Comes into your office, and you do your workup, you do your exam. Maybe you take x-rays, maybe you don't. We'll get back to the imaging issue in a second. But no matter what, you start out on a course of care with this person. And let's say you start adjusting them you're adjusting them three times a week for a couple of weeks you put them on a you know three three or four week care plan say come and see me three times a week for the next three to four weeks and we'll see how you're doing <clears throat> just think about this logically okay this person is coming to see you at the most you've got some x-rays on them 
Okay? And let's suppose that after a week or two, they don't think they're getting better. Doesn't matter what's really happening. Okay? The patient doesn't think they're getting better. Or, this is a 40-something-year-old male, his wife doesn't think he's getting better. Okay? So you imagine the dinner table conversations. Okay? Maybe she doesn't like chiropractors. And you could reverse this, right? It'd be husband, wife, wife, husband. And she's nagging him enough that he decides he better go do something about this because he doesn't feel like he's getting better. And he ends up somewhere else ortho's office, neuro's office, emergency room, okay? And they take his history. Think about the intake process in a medical office, okay? Tell us about this, OPQRST. What have you been doing about it? I've been going to the chiropractor. Oh, what's the chiropractor been doing? Well, he's been cracking my neck. He cracks one side, crack, cracks the other side, crack, right? Or he puts me on my side and it's like he's starting a motorcycle. Right? And this is all getting written down. I'm exaggerating for effect, but I've seen so many of these, I'm really not exaggerating. And it, all this is getting documented in the record. And this is just the nurse at this point. Now the doctor comes in. Oh, Mr. Jones, I see you got some neck pain, back pain, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you've been seeing a chiropractor and it's getting worse. Let's have a look. And he documents that. Now, if, if, if a 40-something-year-old male goes into an ortho's office or a neuro's office complaining of neck or back pain with some referral or ridiculous symptoms into the extremity, what test are they going to order? Going to order an MRI. See, this isn't rocket science, right? The question is going to be, from the 12 people who couldn't get out of jury duty, Mr. Chiropractor, is how come you didn't order that MRI? Isn't it true, doctor, that he didn't have that disc herniation before you started cracking his neck? You see what I'm saying? So the MRI is done after the fact. There's a disc herniation or a disc derangement, some problem with the disc after you started taking care of him. Who are they going to blame it on? They're going to blame it on you. Okay. Remember, this is about risk management. And I know some of your sphincters are fibrillating right now. Because I know, I know what's going on in your office. Okay. I've been doing this a long time. So <clears throat> you've got to be thoughtful about this. Okay. And, and when we get to the stroke part, I'm going to talk about establishing relationships with imaging centers and other healthcare providers and all this sort of stuff to protect yourself, okay? The imaging issue, I think I might have a story for this one. This is, um, this is an email or a personal message or something that one of our insureds sent us. This isn't too old. This is just around April or May of last year. So she's telling me the story. This per person first came to their office in 2014. Pay attention to the dates. The, the, this is key, okay? In 2014, she had hurt herself at work. She was suffering from low back and neck pain. She had a history of stroke and cancer, okay? 
That should be a red flag, right? That doesn't really play into this case. And it's really a whole other conversation. But it, we should cover it with just what we're talking about here. She was cared for through 826, 2014, so a few months. Due to staff oversight, we were never paid for this care. So, you know, this guy, this doctor has a lot of problems going on, okay? He's got problems with the way the office is run and managed and all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> I sent her for x-rays when she started care. X-ray findings showed moderate to severe DJD and C5, C6. She returned for care how many years later? About two years later. Guess what? No new x-rays. No new MRI. No MRI okay? She's got numbness and tingling now. She came to see her about once a week. Last visit, you know, she was there for a few months, four to eight. She visited her oncologist who was concerned about her ridiculous symptoms and sent her for an MRI. See, and this illustrates the problem of management of the patient, okay? If you are allowing the patient to decide who to see in terms of the other healthcare provider, and you don't have a relationship with that other healthcare provider, then you're screwed, okay? You wanna make sure you have a relationship with other healthcare providers that you can refer patients to that when you make that referral, that other healthcare provider isn't gonna tell them that the chiropractor you're seeing is a quack, don't go back. But when you allow the patient to make that choice for themselves, that's what's gonna happen to you, okay? So he sends her for the MRI. C5C disc was protruding into the spinal canal. She was told she was in danger of becoming paralyzed, immediately <coughs> needed surgery. Uh, she expressed disappointment in the chiropractor for not sending her for an MRI. She had the operation the next week. I spoke to her twice. Uh, you know, so she goes through this whole thing where basically the patient now isn't calling her back. And I can tell you from, a, from experience in the, in the malpractice business, when the patient doesn't return your phone calls after an adverse event, that's not a good sign. Because <laughs> the next person that's calling you is their attorney, okay? So this, this, this stresses the importance of imaging, plain film and advanced imaging, okay? Disc imaging children. Let's talk about children a little bit. <clears throat> I, don't, I won't spend too much time on this but I want you to understand a couple of concepts. Uh, the most important being that a child retains their right to sue you until the age of 18, if that's what it is in the state, plus the statute of limitations in that state, okay? I don't know what it is in Florida. It's three to five years. I think it's three in Florida. Don't quote me on that. So I want you to understand the length of time that a child has to come after you, okay? And think about how long you're required legally to hang on to records. So you might have already thrown this person's records out. They might still have a copy of their records that you don't have. Their attorney has the records, you don't have them. And as an aside, this is another issue you need to make sure that you have very tight control over your staff about records being sent out. Records from your office should never be sent out without you, your knowledge and you signing off and allowing those records to leave your premises. You understand? Because you may think no records were sent, 
and I could go through a litany of cases where the doctor thought they don't have any records. Patient doesn't have them because they never asked for them, and it turns out, well, they did. The CA gave them to them. They stopped by. Okay? So make sure you have tight control over those records. So understand this with children, and this is tied into school and sports physicals. Okay? I won't ask you to give me a show of hands, but I'm certain that several of you in here are probably doing pre-participation sports physicals, okay, for kids. Maybe for your patients that just come in on a regular basis and they need it and so, you know, you do the paperwork. Or maybe you're doing it because you're part of a team, you know, you're the team chiropractor or something like that. Maybe you're doing it as a community service. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons people do this, right? <clears throat> Why are pre-participation sports physicals done on children? What's the, what's the number one reason? What are they looking for? Well, yeah, but what, what are they looking for? What system of the body are they most concerned about? The heart, the cardiovascular system, right? Now, <clears throat> I don't know what school you went to, okay? But I've been involved in chiropractic education for about 20 years. And there is nobody that is going to convince me that a graduate from a chiropractic college knows how to listen to a heart. I mean, they can pose, right? They can put the things in the ear and put the stethoscope on the chest, and they can recite what they had to memorize, right, for the practical exam. But whether or not they're really hearing what they think they're hearing and what that diagnosis is that's tied to those sounds that's a whole nother story, and you're not convincing me, okay? Understand that if you take a stethoscope, stick them in your ear, and then put it on the chest of a human being, a child or adult, you're going to be held to what standard? Do you think you're going to be held to the chiropractic standard? No, you're going to be held to the cardiovascular thoracic surgeon standard, okay? And in, in Georgia right, our, our northern neighbor, in Georgia, the law even comes out explicitly says that, that if you perform a procedure that is also considered part of the practice of medicine, that you will be held to the medical standard, okay? So forget about, now this is one of those things, because we're talking about children, this is one of those things that you know, I'm kind of looking out for the patient in this regard, okay? If you're taking your stethoscope out and you're placing it on the chest of a child to do a pre-participation physical, please do me a favor. Listen very carefully to their tiny little hearts, okay? Listen very carefully before you sign off on that. Because there was a case just 2016, eight-year-old soccer player had his pre-participation physical done by the chiropractor. First game of the season, he's sitting on the bench for most of the game, hadn't even played yet. Coach calls him in. As the eight-year-old is running out onto the field, he drops dead from a heart attack. Eight-year-old. 
the chiropractor cleared him to play. I mean, it's a tragedy, right? For the child, for the family. Think about the chiropractor has to live with that for the rest of their life. I, I, don't, know how, I don't know how they could do it. I don't know how, how, what you would have to go through in your brain to justify that you signed off that that cardiovascular exam, because what's the form going to say? WNL. Okay? It isn't worth it. It isn't worth whatever it is you're doing. You know what? If you, if you want to help your community, why don't you be the expert in examining the spine to see if the children are subluxated? And let the pediatrician do all the other stuff. Doesn't make any sense to me. So children, school and sports, physicals. I mean, I don't think I have to tell you that <clears throat> a case involving a child, certainly a death case, but even an injury, fracture of a growth, missing a fracture of a growth plate or something like that. I, I mean, it's never even, forget about 12 people who could get in, couldn't get out of jury duty. It's never going to see a courtroom. There's, there's no attorney that's going to want that child or that family to be sitting, you know, two feet from the jury while they persecute you. It's not going to end well. So that's children's sports physicals. Spinal screenings. I know that um, I'm sure many of you do spinal screenings. Here's the thing you need to understand about spinal screenings. The standard of care is no different. Okay. Now, I'd like to just stop the conversation and move to the next thing, right? But I got to make sure this really sort of seeps in through the synapses, okay? The standard of care is no different. Okay, I was watching right before I started this afternoon. I'm watching a chiropractor at a spinal screening, right? He's doing Facebook Live. Look at us. Look at us adjusting. Oh, we're rocking and rolling. Look how cool we are. We're, the best. we're changing the world. World spelled W-E-R-L-D, right? Because that's the cool way to say it. <clears throat> the standard of care is no different. You still got to take a history. You still got to have intake. You got to do an exam. Okay? And you, you go ahead and adjust them if you want to. But, I mean, that's just the nail in the coffin for you. Okay? That then you went ahead and adjusted them under a tent at a fair. Does this work this way with medical doctors? Uh, I, I, I have some pain in my lower right quadrant. I, I think I might have appendicitis. Well, let's just take care of that right now. I mean, the crazy shit this profession does, it's unbelievable, right? <laughs> Who does this? No other profession. We wonder why we don't have cultural authority, right? If, if vertebral subluxations make people sick and kill them, then we should approach it as serious business. This shouldn't be something that you could just take care of in a tent at a fair. <clears throat> so understand that the standard of care is the same. Okay? There is, we, we get calls all the time. Do you guys have uh, one of those waivers? that we can give these people we're doing screening. It's like, waiver? 
Chiropractors, this is how great. They think there's a get out of jail free card for malpractice. Chiropractors think that about informed consent. They think that if you have, chiropractors think that if they have an informed consent document signed as a patient, patient can't sue them. I told them I might kill them so they can't sue me. That's not how it works. In order to sue somebody and ultimately to be successful in that malpractice case, you gotta have two things. You gotta have an adverse event. You gotta have something bad happen to the patient and, but that's not all. It can't just be something bad happened to the patient. You also have to have a violation of the standard of care. Okay? Violation of the standard of care. You've got to have both of them. If something bad happens to a patient and the chiropractor violated the standard of care, it's done. It's over. Now it's a battle of the experts to convince 12 people who couldn't get out of jury duty. Okay? Oh, I think I have, yeah. So I got to chuckle out of this. <clears throat> the picture, and don't worry about reading the article. Obviously, it's too small to see. I'll, I'll summarize it for you. This is obviously a chiropractic convention, and these are two chiropractors adjusting each other at a chiropractic, right? You see it all the time, right? Maybe some of you adjusted each other already this weekend. I don't know, right? So there's this picture. This is from the Georgia Chiropractic Association. This is in their printed newsletter that they send out, right? In that same issue, where they are showing pictures of their last convention, including adjusting people, the chair of the board says, don't do that. <laughs> it's like, where was the editor of this news newsletter, right? They didn't really look at this too closely. So she's basically the chair. This is in Georgia. She's, you know, basically saying everything that I just told you about a spinal screening, you know. And, you know, I talk about this issue a lot because, you know, the response from the chiropractor is, oh, it's my buddy. It's my buddy. It's my CA. It's my wife. It's my friend. It's my old buddy from chiropractic college. They're not going to sue me. I mean, the na naivete is just unbelievable, okay? If you're out there tomorrow and you're adjusting somebody in this room <clears throat> and they end up having a dissection and a subsequent stroke, you really believe that because they know you that they're not going to sue you? You're out of your mind. The person is probably permanently disabled and they're just, well, I don't want to sue my friend. It's going to happen. Wives, girlfriends, ex-CAs. You've heard all this stuff before, all the horror stories, I'm sure. So be careful with spinal screens. Standard of care is not different. <coughs> Vaccination. <coughs> you know, you look at, if you, if you look at chiropractors' Facebook pages, you'd think they were public health experts, not chiropractors. Right? Because you don't read anything about chiropractic on their Facebook page. You read about vaccination on their Facebook page. I don't, I mean, listen, I, I get it. Okay? I'm not a proponent of vaccination. Here's what I don't say is that I don't believe in it, because that's like people saying I don't believe in chiropractic. It's just stupid to say that. Right? If you want to have a, a rational conversation about 
the right of people, of citizens, to have the autonomy to decide what they do or don't do with their body or the bodies of their children, okay, let's have that conversation. But if you as a chiropractor think that you know even an iota of the literature on vaccination, you, you are delusional. Okay? I have a master's degree in public health from one of the top 10 public health institutions on this planet. I studied epidemiology, biostatistics, regression analysis, and the history of vaccination from the beginning to the end, and how vaccinations, according to the public health experts on this planet, have saved this planet. Okay? That's what 95% of the people walking around on this planet believe. Okay? That vaccinations have saved us. 95% of the people in this country are vaccinated. You hear that number? 95%. Okay. Chiropractors are in that 5% that don't like it, don't think it's a good idea. Okay. You know who else is in that 5%? The people sitting at home in their basement with tinfoil hats on. Okay. Those people are also in that 5%. So you may be in that 5% having a rational, reasonable conversation, either about informed consent or even on the scientific literature if you want to take it that far. But sitting right next to you is the guy in the tinfoil hat. It destroys our cultural authority. Is, is that the issue of the chiropractic profession? Is, is, is the reason to be of the chiropractic profession to stop mass vaccination? It's not. Nothing wrong with it. If that's what you want to do, then I would, it would be my advice. I would tell you to go back to school and get a degree in public health, and then you go change that and hope that you have about 50 lifetimes to do it. Okay? Chiropractic is not going to change vaccination immunization policy. All it's going to do is further erode our cultural authority. That's what it's going to do. It's not our issue. It's a human being issue. It's a citizen of the planet issue. But it's not an issue of the chiropractic profession. My opinion, right? And we all know what opinions are like, right? Everybody's got one. Here's the law in the state of Florida. Part of the law, sorry. Any chiropractic physician who has complied with the provisions of this chapter is authorized to analyze, diagnose abnormal bodily functions, to adjust the physical representative of the primary cause of disease. As an incident to the care of the sick, chiropractic physicians may advise and instruct patients in all matters pertaining to hygiene and sanitary measures as taught and approved by recognized chiropractic schools and colleges. What are they talking about here, hygiene and sanitary measures? Talking about public health. In the state of Florida, right, we're taking this one step further. In the state of Florida, does the state of Florida say it's a bad thing to get vaccinated? I'm asking you. Does the public health authorities in the state of Florida said, yeah, this vaccination thing? Yeah, it's like chemtrails. We don't, you know, it's not a good thing. No, they say you must get vaccinated, right? You have to. It's, 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 it's mandatory, okay? And then the chiropractor comes along and says to the patient, don't do it. 
not only are you violating everything they say in public health, you're in violation of your own statute. You got it? Now, this should cause you to go back to your office on Monday and reevaluate what you got laying around in your office and what you have on your website. You want to talk about nightmares, right? We'll get to the website issue and social media issue, but I'm telling you right now, just so you understand this, before you get the letter from the attorney that they're suing you and before the regulatory board sends you the letter that they're investigating you, they have already been to your website, copied it, and did the same thing to your Facebook page, your Twitter feed, and everything else that you got social media, that you're doing on social media. And they just love it when you change it after the fact. Because now they have a pre and a post to show the jury that you knew you were doing something wrong. That's why you changed it. Isn't that true, doctor? <clears throat> Here it is, state of Florida, immunization guidelines, right? <clears throat> and here's the thing. You can sign the form in Florida. You're allowed to sign the form and give them a medical exemption. Just read that form carefully understand what you're signing all right here's your name authorized signature make sure you understand what this all says and what you are taking 100 percent of responsibility for why would you take that risk on that's the parents problem right it's a parent's problem. Chiropractors have this problem fleshing out what's the patient's responsibility and what's the chiropractor's responsibility, right? Money is another example of this, right? Chiropractors think the fact that the patient can't afford your care, that that's the chiropractor's problem. So you should change your fee, lower your fee, give it away for free because they can't afford it. That's not your problem. The financial status of that patient and where they are in their life financially had nothing to do with you. Why do you take that burden on? It's crazy. <clears throat> they can get a religious exemption, right? I mean, listen, I told you I'm with you on the vaccination thing, okay? I'm right there with you. Pitchfork and torch in hand, ready to storm the castle. Okay? It's crazy making when you think about it, right? You can get a religious, let me, let me, let me see if I understand this. I can opt out of immunization because I believe in a man in the sky that says I shouldn't get vaccinated, but the, if I base it on science and logic and reason, that's not okay. I mean, we can make ourselves crazy because that's the reality, or we can just realize that's the reality that do you want to spend the rest of your life changing, trying to change? Let's pick our battles. Let's be smart about this. This, this is from the Texas Chiropractic Association's newsletter. Texas Chiropractic Association promoting vaccination. And if you don't think it's important to belong to a professional trade organization that represents your values, there's no better example than this, right? 
just more of the vaccination stuff, right? Are drugs our issue? Is that what we should be fighting? Is that what we should be putting the very limited resources politically that this profession has into fighting drugs, chemtrails, right? This is another one. Go to chiropractors' Facebook pages, right? And you go through, you scroll through, it's going to be vaccinations and chemtrails, right? They, they go outside in the morning and they take pictures of the sky and then post them. I, I, listen, I'm not going to get into whether chemtrails or what they say they are or aren't what they say they are. Not my issue. I know it's affecting me. If it is what they say it is, I know it's affecting all of us. But so is fluoridation in the water. So is vaccination. So is the military industrial complex. So is the medical pharmaceutical industrial complex, right? I mean, let's pick our battles. GMOs, that's another one on chiropractors' Facebook pages, right? I mean, is that what we want to fight? Is that our cause? We could go on. What time we got? 3.15, okay, we're doing good on time. You guys okay? I'm getting worked up. <laughs> yeah, and if I, I, don't, I don't think I did it at the beginning. I, I'm sure to offend somebody this afternoon, and so I'm apologizing ahead of time. You know, if my lips are moving and words are coming out, somebody's getting offended. You wouldn't believe how many times a week somebody tells me, hey, could, could you tone it down a bit? No, I can't. Vaccination, pregnant patients. We sort of touched on children. Let's talk about the pregnant patient because <clears throat> I, I hope that you all are taking care of pregnant patients because you know, the women that bear the future of this planet should be under chiropractic care, right? So that the, that child is getting everything that they need in terms of neurological function while they're developing. Okay, I'm right there with you. Just understand the risk. Okay? And specifically, I need you to understand that the practice of obstetrics is not covered under any malpractice insurance policy in this country, okay? In fact, if you're insured with us, you could check me, you go home, look at your policy, you'll see it, it's an exclusion. And even if you're with NCMEC or OUM or ChiroSecure, whoever you're with, you look at the exclusion section of your policy and it says, we don't cover obstetrics, okay? If you look at the state law in any state in this country except Oregon, you'll see that chiropractors, it's in every scope, you are expressly forbidden from practicing obstetrics. Every state in this country, except Oregon. Oregon, you take 600 hours, you can go deliver babies in Oregon as a chiropractor, okay? <clears throat> sort of a holdover from years past. So you understand you can't practice obstetrics, right? That's not hard to understand, right? Here is the issue. If you take your hands and you place them on the belly of a pregnant woman to determine the position of the fetus, that is the practice of obstetrics. Got it? Some of you, most of you nodding your head. Some of you are like, holy shit. <laughs> right? 
because I see it all the time on Facebook. Chiropractors are posting, oh, need some advice. I got a 35-week pregnant patient. The baby is, fa you know, they, they tell, they describe how they palpated the abdomen to determine the position of the fetus. Like, you're putting on social media that you are practicing obstetrics. Can't do it, okay? Let the midwife do it. Let the obstetrician do it, okay? How about you find, analyze, and correct vertebral subluxations in that pregnant patient, okay? And let her body and the baby worry about where they are. Because that's the other thing. Then they start freaking out on Facebook. Oh, my God, the baby's not turning. I've been adjusting the Webster's for three times a week for the past two weeks. The baby's not turning. What's the matter? What's the matter? Nothing's the matter. <laughs> the baby doesn't want to turn. <laughs> You know, on the one hand, chiropractors bash medicine for, you know, all their interventions and deciding when women should, you know, have a C-section and when they should deliver. And on the other hand, they get upset when the baby doesn't turn because they adjusted them. I delivered the most perfect miracle adjustment. The baby should have turned. Don't practice obstetrics, okay? Go home. If you're taking care of people and you're doing Webster's technique, excellent, Okay? You should all be doing it. But make sure that on your website and your patient educational materials that there is nothing in the language that even suggests to the public that you are turning babies because that's the practice of obstetrics. Okay? Webster's technique is not a breech turning technique. I got news for you. It is a system of analysis and correction for vertebral subluxations in the pelvis and sacrum. That's what Webster's is. What if it was a testimonial? I would ask that patient to take that down. I would ask them to take it down. Now, something like that, what's the likelihood that that's going to end up, you know, biting you in the butt? Probably not very likely. But if you take that testimonial and you put it on your website, you're, you're done. You're cooked. Okay? But the baby could have turned even with that, the adjustment. Right. Oh, it was going to happen anyway. Right. You got to go. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to get too far down this road, but, you know, <laughs> chiropractors are interesting, right? They think that because it happened in their office to a patient that it was because of them. Right? When it's good, right? <laughs> so you don't know how true that is. <laughs> this whole thing here, any questions about the pregnant stuff? We're clear on this, right? Okay. Um, I'll send something around later, by the way. Um, you give me your email address, I'll send you a bunch of stuff, including Geniome and Joel's paper on Webster's. I'll send you all my stuff, all my slides. You don't have to take pictures of the screen. <laughs> this stuff, wellness, continuing to treat membership practices, non-therapeutic care, and primary care versus portal of entry, I'm going to kind of group all together. Talk about, it'll be kind of a jumbled mess, but we'll flesh it out here. <clears throat> And, and we'll wade into it by using an actual recent case. I won't tell you what state this is. <clears throat> this is the, 
basically the causes of action. This is a regulatory board issue. Okay, the regulatory board in this state, in this particular state, is going after this chiropractor. This chiropractor is young, five years out of school. He's practicing in a uh, membership. He has a membership style practice. Everybody understand what I mean by membership style practice? Some of you may have that. This is where the patient pays a fee, a monthly fee. Usually in these membership practices, unfortunately, it's a very low fee, you know, $69 a month or $67 a month. Chiropractors like sevens and nines at the end for unlimited care, right, for the whole family, okay? Yes. Because, you know, getting rid of something that might kill you is, is worth $69, right? <clears throat> so this is how he's practicing. His mentors taught him that this was okay, that this was, this is the way to practice, this was a good thing to do, okay? And I don't have any problem, just be clear, I don't have a problem with membership practices. I have a problem with devaluing the service of chiropractic, okay? Have a membership practice, but how about charge $500 a month, okay? And, and if you get upset about that because, well, you know, nobody's going to pay for that, understand the reason people won't pay for that if you don't know how to get them to pay for that is because of the lack of cultural authority that this profession has. Because we're running around fighting vaccination and chemtrails and GMOs instead of focusing on subluxation, our reason to be. So the board goes after this young chiropractor. At, the first, at his first hearing, and I heard this from the doctor at first, and I was a little skeptical, and then I talked to his attorney, and his attorney confirmed it. At the first hearing, the chair of the board, this regulatory board, who will remain nameless, leans across the desk, the table, pounds on the desk, and says to this young chiropractor, we're going to shut you down. We've seen several like you before, and we'll see several like you after. Uh, we're going to shut you down. This is what he says to him. And the attorney, the attorney when I talked to the attorney, was like, what's, what's with your profession? I, he said, I, I, he's a regular, this is his specialty. He said he never saw anything like it, where, where somebody sitting on a board could get away with that. I just laughed. I said, it goes on all the time in this profession because chiropractors allow it to go on. Chiropractors allow people on these boards to do this because we don't stand up and do something about it. So these are the charges against him. He's failed to conform to the standards of acceptable care for examination and diagnosis and for chiropractic adjusted procedures in violation of the law. Here are the four items. He takes no vital signs on patients and his physical examination is limited to the identification of spinal subluxations. He does not record a diagnosis other than spinal subluxation for any patient. He performs spinal manipulations on all patients without first documenting the need for such treatment. Now, number one and two are true. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay? Of course, not according to the board. Okay? Number three is not true. He performs spinal manipulations on all patients without first documenting the need for such treatment. He does. He does an exam to determine if they're subluxated. What the board is saying is he's not pushing on heads and lifting legs and doing all these ortho-neuro tests that they want them to do and that you, you know, got $300,000 in debt to learn how to do, right? 
He allows patients to determine the number and frequency of spinal manipulations they receive, thereby abdicating his professional responsibility to develop treatment plans tailored to the patient's needs. All right, so this is the unlimited care at a fixed fee. Um, you know, come in when you need to, come in when you want to, that sort of thing. The, the, these boards don't want you to leave that up to the patient, okay? Now here's where it really gets bad. And, and they're referring to the rules and regulations in the state. Not rendering acceptable care in the practice of the profession shall be a basis for the imposition of disciplinary sanctions. Uh, the standard of acceptable care for examination and diagnosis, hang on to your hats on this, for chiropractic adjusted procedures shall be the usual and customary methods as taught in the majority of recognized chiropractic colleges. Okay. Now, if you don't know this, the chiropractic colleges, if they want to be accredited by the CCE, must train primary care clinicians. Okay. And so the states are pushing this primary care issue practice to the fullest extent of that scope. Okay. The majority of recognized chiropractic colleges teach that chiropractic physicians should perform an initial exam that is sufficiently comprehensive to allow the physician to reasonably assess whether the patient's injury or condition can be treated successfully through chiropractic care. Now, if there was a period there, I'd be fine, right? Because that's triage. That's what I started with, right? Which one of these things doesn't belong here? That's not complicated. It shouldn't be complicated for the chiropractor to triage a patient. This next part that they added, i.e. a differential diagnosis, that's a whole nother story. Because what they're saying here is, no, you cannot limit your practice to the analysis of correction of vertebral subluxation. You must diagnose everything that that patient is walking into the door with, walking through the door with. Okay? The majority of recognized uh, schools teach that chiropractic physicians should first identify, they go on and talk about subluxations, no problem with that. Here's the most bizarre thing you're probably going to see today. This is the law in that state. The definition of chiropractic is herein defined to be the science of adjusting the cause of disease by realigning the spine, releasing pressure on nerves, radiating from the spine to all parts of the body, and allowing the nerves to carry their full quota of health current, nerve energy, from the brain to all parts of the body. The board is saying he can't practice to the scope. Because the board says so. This is the chiropractic board. You've got to go ask that board, right? It has so far, he's exhausted the $50,000 in board coverage that he has, okay? He's now paying out of his own pocket onwards to 100 grand, okay, to defend himself against this board that is telling him he can't practice to the scope, that he has to practice beyond the scope, okay? And, you know, if I wanted to get myself in trouble, I would show you the names and the affiliations of the people that serve on this board and how they also serve in positions on the Federation of Chiropractic Licensing Boards and the National Board of Chiropractic Examiners. It's, a, it's all conflict of interest. This profession is extremely incestuous. And all these people that are trying to expand the scope of practice in chiropractic and turn us into primary care providers are all working in conjunction with one another on these regulatory boards and through all of these other entities. 
And how do all those other entities get funded? How does the FCLB get funded? How does national boards get funded? Where do they get their money from? Student loan money. Student loan money. It's a scam. Do you understand? They are, they, they are, are financing their agenda. The cartel in this profession is financing their agenda using student loan money. How come nobody's investigating this? That's bad enough. <clears throat> this is not the same person, so how but this, it's still going on. Oh, it, is, it hasn't ended yet. It's still going on. Still uh, they, ha they haven't made any decision yet. Right? They haven't. Oh, it, it's already gone on for two or three years. Okay. No, he can, he can practice. Until they make their decision, he's practicing, right? He has, they, they did sanction him to the extent that right now he has a board monitor, okay? So he's got somebody that has to, I won't get into the details because it takes too much time, but he's got what's called a board monitor. <coughs> right. This is another guy in a different state, almost identical set of circumstances, Right? He's not insured with us, he's insured with somebody else. And, uh, and this is why it's so important for you to read your malpractice policy, okay? Because he's got a really cheap policy. And he told the board that this stuff is going on. I mean, he told the, his insurance company that this stuff is going on. And the insurance company came back and said, you did not provide the company with written notice containing uh, information sufficient to identify the circumstances of the claim within three business days of the incident, so you have no coverage. Yeah. So <clears throat> this is one of those Monday morning things, right? And I hate to do Monday morning because everybody that talks to you tells you what you got to do on Monday morning. And you're like, you don't want to get out of bed on Monday morning. You got so much shit you got to do. You need to get a, a copy of your malpractice policy if you don't have it. And I don't mean the one-page declaration page. I mean the actual policy. And you need to read it. Because some of you are going to go and read your policy, and you're going to be like, this is all just legalese on how they're not going to pay the claim. Right? Malpractice policies are written one of two ways. Okay? They're written, here's how we're going to pay on your behalf. Others are written, here's how we're not going to pay. Okay? You don't want that policy. Okay? If it's cheap, it's cheap for a reason. <clears throat> Let's touch on this, the, the drug issues in chiropractic. You know, because the big thing, even on the straight faction, everybody's jumped on this bandwagon, right? We don't want drugs in the profession. We don't want chiropractors to be able to prescribe drugs. Every, you know, that's not a hard one for chiropractors to rally around within the straight faction of the profession. The problem is it's a red herring. The problem is they got you focused on that shiny object and you're ignoring the real issue, which is primary care. So while chiropractors on the straight side are all focused on the drugs, oh, we're stopping drugs in New Mexico, we did it, which they didn't actually. Meanwhile, the cartel is turning us into primary care providers, fully understanding that in order to practice primary care, you have to be able to prescribe drugs. These are the attributes of, of a primary care provider. Okay? This is what's in the literature on this. Okay? 
A primary care provider is accountable for everything with that patient, okay? They have to be accessible 24 hours a day, seven days a week, okay? It's an attribute of primary care. Primary care provider is responsible to coordinate all health care for the patient. They're responsible for comprehensiveness of care. Comprehensive, when you look at this in the literature in terms of, okay, what does that mean? It means that the primary health care provider has to be able to manage most conditions that most patients have most of the time. And there has to be continuity of care. You're responsible for continuity of care. Here's what I can't wrap my head around. I, I don't, you know, it's sort of like, why do we, you know, go to school and get in all this debt and take all these exams uh, and have all these degrees so we can teach people how to do things that unlicensed, uneducated high school dropouts can do, right? I can't figure that one out. I can't figure this one out. Why would a chiropractor, why would anybody want to be the least paid in healthcare and have the most responsibility? Makes no sense. They don't want it. The medics don't want it. That's why there's a shortage of primary care providers. They blame the crisis in healthcare on a shortage of primary care providers because they don't want to do it because it's the most responsibility for the least pay. And along come carbos. Well, I'll do it. I'll do anything. I'll do anything to be accepted. It's crazy. Exactly. Exactly. We're going to get to that. Don't worry. We're going to talk about that. That's when I'm really going to lose my mind. <laughs> What's that? Yes. Absolutely. We're our own worst enemy. And I told you FCA is pushing this primary care issue. Okay. Uh, it's probably 340. We'll take that first break. Uh, we're back at um, 4 o'clock, right? 4 o'clock. Right.